the team is by far the most important because the plan that you have when you start a business, and again, we've seen thousands of business plans. If you look at the plan that we receive, it's well thought out, people are smart, but three years down the road, there's not much left of the initial plan. They're doing something different, selling it differently with different competitors, different features that you initially thought. So you have to be smart to adapt. And that's the thing we're looking for, intelligence to adapt, because the assumptions you have when you start something need to be tested by talking to the markets, yeah. talking to prospects, to potential employees, to partners, even competitors, uh, partners, all these things you have to do and test your assumptions all the time. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Considering everything doing really well, thank you. The sun is shining. Yes. Now, considering everything, that's actually my first question. I mean, what is the impact for you as an, uh, an investor in Volta? Um, yeah. What is the impact of Corona on your work, on, on the vets, investments that you're doing? Yeah. Well, like everybody else, we're working from home, so we don't meet people face-to-face -face anymore, which is normally pretty important to get a good relationship with people because when you invest in a startup, you invest in people, you, need, you want to meet them face-to-face. -face. So that's gone. Fortunately, uh, tools like this, Zoom, help a lot. But then secondly, for the existing portfolio, uh, for practically all startups with a few exceptions, uh, it's a very difficult period. So we're spending quite some time on the existing portfolio to see how much runway, runway they have, what the impact is on, on sales and the team. And uh, so that has taken quite some time. For the rest, on, on existing, on, on new companies, uh, startups that want to present themselves to us, that keeps on going. Uh, so there's still new startups. Uh, the pace has slowed a little bit. You have to know we see over 2,000 companies a year. Mm. And we still see new startups uh, coming okay. up. So for the old portfolio, it's uh, uh, everybody is struggling. Uh, not all sectors, of course. Telehealth, we have one or two companies in telehealth. They're doing better now than ever. We have one company active in uh, on financial markets. Mm. There's a lot of activity on financial markets, so they're even doing even better than before. Mm. So it's not all gloom and doom, but for most companies, the impact have, has been... Uh, Pretty heavy. And pretty heavy impact. Does that, does, so that really means they're not selling what they have budgeted or targeted. And that's the, sell, the selling has slowed down or it's sometimes reduced to practically zero? Or how do I have to see that? Selling has slowed down. Okay. Uh, and it's across the range that, uh, you know, from one or two companies that have gone up dramatically to, to one or two companies that where new sales has pretty stopped. Okay. Uh, so there are sectors like uh, uh, sectors that are uh, active in uh, events, yeah, uh, okay. work, yeah. um, marketing. These sectors have been especially hard hit. Okay, interesting. But travel and travel is totally a nightmare. Fortunately, yeah, okay. we don't have any travel companies, but there's a lot of activity in travel, hotel management software, property management software, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. They have been yeah. especially hard yeah. hit. Yeah. Okay. Now, now. After Corona, which is of course really difficult to predict, what do you think that um, I wouldn't say on the long term? What What do you think 
from your point of view, from Volta, from your personal view, also for yeah, VC lands in general, what will have changed or transformed? Do you think, it, I have, I'm pretty sure there will be um, an, an, a huge impact, but do you think we're going to do more of this? Because you say it's, we have to meet the people and I'm also a people person, but I've also learned that uh, we're doing this call right now, which actually was planned physically. Um, but my experience is that, and it's not the same, but you can get pretty close in terms of yeah, exchanging ideas, etc. Of course, it's getting better when you actually have a relationship like we do because we know each other for quite some time. But what do you think after Corona, the world, from your point of view, in VC land would look like? Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, we have known one another for quite some time. So meeting face to face or on video, the difference is limited. It's more fun to see in person because you're an enthusiastic person. So it's more fun to see in person than on the screen. But we go back a long time. So, but if you want, if, if I were to meet you for the first time, yeah. I'd rather meet you face to face to see how you act, behave, respond to certain yeah, issues. Yeah, so yeah. the face to face thing is, is, is that being said, uh, I worked in the, in, in the States yeah. years ago and you know, people are more used to doing yeah. calls and video calls in the states because the distance is simply too big yeah. here in belgium we're used everything is nearby basically uh, it's, it's a little region so you can travel all the time perhaps we have overdone that and i i expect there to be much more uh, video conferences than uh, than we've seen in the past i think that will be a good a positive you know you're reducing traffic and the waste of time by sitting in your car Yep. which you can feel by doing some calls, but still that, I think we're going to be more effective in that. Yeah, right? I also believe that. As to long-term impacts mm -hmm. on, on, on uh, Corona, I've been a VC for 20 years, I started mm -hmm. in 2000. The year after, you know, in, we started in 2000, we were hit by the dot-com bubble mm -hmm. a few months after we started, that's when we met, yeah. end of 2000. So then there was a dot-com bubble, so everything yeah. collapsed. Yeah. A year later, there was 9-11. Uh, yeah. 2001 then we had the financial crisis of 2008 and 9 yeah. and now we have another one but this one is bigger this one is bigger it will be more impactful but we will get back to normal when this is a good but we will get back to normal do you, do you think that the old normal I, I don't think there's going to be the new normal is not going to be the same as the old normal I don't think we're going to go back at the same normal that we have known Probably not. I see because of what has happened, increased uh, importance and attention to people that make the world run. And to be frank, it's not you and I that make the world run. It's, it's people that pick up the garbage here just half an hour ago. It's people in hospitals. It's people that work in food uh, supermarkets. They make the world run. And, and I think, hopefully, that heightened appreciation for these people will stay yeah. and I hope as long as possible but I also think that um, if you look but it's, it's of course this is a this is just an assumption or a, or a feeling or whatever you want to call it but if I look back 20 years ago um, when we were together I mean especially in Belgium and Europe being a startup was actually a negative thing that was I wouldn't say I wouldn't call it for the losers 
but like since five to ten years it's being like a rock star working in startup whereas 20 years ago you were like the the special yeah you're crazy you have to work for a corporate and um so this also means that everybody now is looking to cash out and to to become the next um, millionaire and there's nothing wrong with being a millionaire but i really believe that things will change that people are going to look more for a more purpose-driven um, job way of living where, where the money is a means but not the goal and i also believe that that companies are going to more yeah be more purpose-driven and not saying all of them but this also means that yeah people also will be, be more purpose-driven but also that's the, the way you manage people um, nowadays it's all about targets and people are resources and 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 parts of an excel and i think and of course ibita is very important but i also think there will be an a, a certain shift i believe i believe so too uh and, and i'm hoping for that but i'm a bit of a history buff people have a tendency of getting back to the normal and the normal is the normal you described as it was in the past unfortunately hopefully some of it will stick that yeah. we don't get back to the entire uh, old normal um, yeah but yeah okay but the i mean the talent the most talented people um everybody will want them and yeah just money is not no longer enough especially no, no, the, the, especially the young ones i i had people here on the podcast 23 year old entrepreneurs and they are talking about things 20 years ago when we met i mean i didn't talk about meditation or purpose or values or whatever it was about let's get it in let's 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 do this uh, let's sell this and um it was about action and execution and and real male energy but these young guys the young entrepreneurs they are they are different you're right that has changed and you see that also in the freelance because indeed 20 years ago when we started as a vc or when you joined a startup uh it was special people our parents said what the hell are you doing working for a startup go work for a big company that was 20 years ago that has changed it, it but it has changed too much it became as you mentioned yeah. too popular yeah uh, to be in a startup because that's yeah. hot and sexy so there has been the last year or two it has become a little bit extreme yeah you couldn't open a newspaper they were talking about the next unicorn and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. as if that is the goal of being a company that is worth a billion indeed purpose uh, you know in that regard we've become a bit little bit american perhaps but that, i think that will be one of the conclusions of, of corona many unicorns have been hit especially hard especially yeah. hard but I, i i i for me it's the same like um we share uh, a similar love for um 70s guitar music um as you know i'm a musician also i really play the guitar because i'm passionate about playing the guitar and being in a band not because i want to be famous of course oh, yeah. i want to play uh, i want to play concerts and is it it is a little bit a consequence of that but it's not the end goal but i know people who are working or playing music or working for a startup just because they have the tag of i'm cool and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that for me the the balance is a little bit too far um and i rather see more passionate people innovating because like 20 years ago i really had the perception to really change the world in certain technology that was really 
together with all my colleagues, that was really the passion, the purpose. That was, and then you can do extra, extraordinary things. And I think for a startup, that's what you want. Absolutely. And I think but most startups have that yeah. passion. Uh, that has also changed since 20 years ago. People didn't know what they were starting. Now people are much better informed when they start a startup. There's okay. plenty of blogs. There's plenty of uh, people that have done it before that you read upon. So that has changed. And perhaps less less naive and less money-driven also, more purpose-driven. It is more fun to have your own business. Yeah, yeah understand. Now, um, before you were a VC, um, you were actually... Uh, in several sales management position, what events triggered you to say, I'm going to become an investor in around 2000 and I'm going to, I'm not going to say, say stop selling because I really believe, and we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later, you're always selling. Now your audience has changed, but you're selling. So what, what triggered you to, to change? You, you hate being in, an, in a company as a sales manager or sales director or VP sales? And then he said, I'm going to go on VC. How did that process happen? Well, many things happen by accident. Uh, it's, it's not as I had the idea because two years before I became a VC, I even didn't know what a VC was. So to be frank, so it was not, that was my goal in life to become a VC. Okay. But, uh, but uh, I enjoyed working at startups. Uh, that was back in the 90s before it was hot to be in a startup. I really enjoyed that. Moved to the Valley in 1999-2000 to help American software companies expand into Europe and learned American style VC, Silicon Valley style VC, mm -hmm. during the dot-com problem. I found it very, very exciting, very, very interesting. I thought it was incredible. That didn't exist uh, in Belgium at the time. So came back to Belgium and yeah, there was an opportunity. We came back before the dot-com bubble burst. I bumped into another Belgian guy, Barend, who had spent five years in Boston and together we set up Big Bank Ventures as yeah, a Silicon Valley style venture capital fund. That, so that's how we got started. And why doing VC? Because I saw how exciting it was in the States because you get to meet passionate, smart people all day long because that's, that's our life. We meet people like you, startups, passionate people, intelligence people who want to do something new. Super interesting. Uh, it's really, really exciting. Um, and also then as to personality is concerned, it is more fun for me because my attention span is sometimes a bit short. It's better to work with multiple entrepreneurs yeah. than doing one job for five years, being a sales manager for five years. I yeah. thought it was more fun to working with five or six or seven companies. Okay. That's, but that's a personality trait. Okay. Now, if you look in, into your portfolio and also the companies who are coming to you, okay, now they know better how to create a better business plan. But what do you see as the biggest obstacle um, of these startups? Is it the marketing? Is it the idea? Is it the go-to-market strategy? Is it the selling? What, what do you see is like a common theme that you see, is it the lack of not having the right combination of uh, founders with uh, complementary skills? <laughs> Everything that you just said, Peter. <laughs> okay. So it's complementary skills, correct. Uh, it, it's, it's one important one. Too often we see uh, two founders that are a copy of one another, and which is great, they get along fine, but they don't bring much to the table because they're copies of one another. 
it's better to have a more salesy oriented product go to market person and an early person together. <laughs> I really believe that I mean, the companies were together, which uh, were transformed to an exit. I really believe that uh, the tension between several people, and I tension is a good way, eh? having different opinions and having the guts to say no and argue without becoming personal. I really believed that that is actually the that was the way to to move forward and not having everybody is thinking the same because yeah, that's not going to change the world in my personal opinion. Well, you're totally right. There are, like for all my life, I've seen discussions between salespeople yeah. and product development people. Yeah. Salespeople, we need this and this and this feature. Yeah. Product development that says, no, no, there are other priorities and we don't have the time or the people. And that's a healthy discussion because yeah. it forces the product development people to perhaps move faster, creating new features. And it motivates the salespeople to perhaps calm down a little bit because there are limited resources in product development. So that's a debate I see all the time. And if that debate is not there, either product development or sales is not eager and hungry enough. So you have to have that debate at a healthy level. Of yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Eh? I mean, yeah. so, so what you're actually saying is that it's great to have an idea and a business plan, but the team is actually the most important? The team is by far the most important. Because the plan that you have when you start a business, and again, we've seen thousands of business plans. If you look at the plan that we receive, it's well thought out, people are smart. But three years down the road, there's not much left of the initial plan. They're doing something different, selling it differently with different competitors, different features that you initially thought. So you have to be smart to adapt. And that's the thing we're looking for, intelligence to adapt. Because the assumptions you have when you start something need to be tested by talking to the markets, yeah. talking to prospects, to potential employees, to partners, even competitors, uh, partners, all these things you have to do and test your assumptions all the time. It's probably the most important thing. And that's something that we have improved on in here in Europe, but we still, we do too much test research still. And it's yeah. best to just go out and test your assumption and test your pitch and yeah, test yeah, yeah. everything. Uh, with the markets and um what do you believe when you're a founder and you're not actually your tech technical uh, background and um when would you what would you hire first a marketeer or a sales and sales maybe for me is really acquiring new business eh? i'm not looking for the farming uh, type of sales which are like 80 percent of the of the sales population but what would you hire first or what would you advise would you say to the founder your first clients you have to find them yourselves, and then you should uh, hire a an, an, uh, sales guy or girl. Well, I'm assuming we're talking about enterprise software where you need salespeople and not uh, low-cost services that cost five or ten dollars a month. Because yeah. then, you, yeah, you don't use salespeople. No, you use you have to use marketing. Marketing, correct. But even then, the golden rule is that the founders need to sign up their first ten customers themselves. Okay. No. First of all, only they know what they're selling best uh, because it's something they have an experience with, a passion about. So the best salespeople are the founders, definitely in the beginning. And they also need to confirm that there is a market for their product. Yeah. By hiring what I call a hired gun, because the salesperson is a hired gun, yeah, that person needs to be trained. And that yeah. person can only be trained by somebody yeah. has, who has done yeah. it. 
him or herself. So yeah. the first few customers, we expect the management team or the founders especially to sign up themselves. And only after five or 10 customers, then think yeah. about hire recruiting a dedicated salesperson. Because, because that salesperson will also need time to get a yeah, yeah. market. Because I sometimes see founders that they think some kind of salespeople are like magicians or like gods and that they can sell everything to anybody. But I don't believe that's true. I mean, first you have that founder who has really, like you said, validated markets and acquired some intelligence. Um, and then you can reproduce that by a sales guy, which can scale that up, but not the other way around. As sometimes founders lay that part into yeah, the hands of a sales guy, but even the best sales can fail there. Yeah, well, the really good salespeople are people that are very process-driven. They can take a prospect by the hand to move them down the funnel to the next step until they sign. Founders typically are less experienced or have less sensitivity around these things. And a good salesperson moves a deal down the funnel to closing and calls upon the founders when it's really needed, when you need yeah. technical depth, product depth, marketing depth, competition, and you call upon the founders then. But the process is driven yeah. and is managed by a salesperson. A, a, founder, a founder is actually really great in inspiring and the first meeting. Yes, 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 the first meeting and the, the, yeah. the prospect is enthusiastic, but there's no next step. Yeah, it's all about the next step. It's only about the next step. The meeting have no use if there is not a next step. Yeah. There has to be a next step. Yeah. And good salespeople are very motivated. Okay, we've got this information. So what's the next step? And how do you move them down the funnel? Yeah. But they start with the end in mind. Eh? Absolutely. And they also are very experienced in saying, no, I'm afraid I'm going to be wasting my time here in talking to this prospect because there is no real match between what I'm offering and what they're looking for. I just say no very quickly and spend your time on those prospects that potentially could become uh, a good prospect that have been better qualified. That's that's one of the hardest lessons. I mean, you can say it very, it's very easy to say that, but when you're in a situation where there's not a lot of deals uh, and you're really testing the market, you need also money. It's uh, that's a very challenging one, of course. It eh? is but very difficult. It's uh, yeah. yeah, and and that's the kind of. Yeah, sixth sense that you have to really feel if there where to put your time in because it's not about money, it's real where I'm going to put my intention and time in because the sales can only focus on a limited amount of deals. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, in, yeah, 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 go on, go on, go on. No, in uh, when I was a salesperson, I um ran the distributorship of a British uh, software company uh, for the Benelux. And the first three, four months, we didn't sign anything, but we just started. The sales cycles were six to nine months. And so after the month five, I had for the next month, one prospect that was going to close, the month after two, and so on. And head office says, well, Frank, you're not doing very well because your forecast is very, very limited. But, and after a year, he said it again. He said, but, but look at my closing ratio. I only forecast one yeah. or two deals a month, but I close yeah. them. Yeah. And I said, in Sweden, they forecast 10 each month, 20, but they close zero. So what do you prefer? A great forecast or a great closing? Yeah. And so, yeah, but that's also what I try to impress on, 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 on salespeople. 
you can only oversell your forecasts so many times before people see that you're not qualifying them very well. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Qualification is key and predictability. It's like what you said. A lot of people, the non-sales people, they want to see the big excels with the big numbers. Eh? And, the, and you, what you see is it's like in qualification phase or in proposal phase and it skips quarter after quarter after quarter. Yeah. And whereas you need to really focus on, okay, you have like a, a 30% closing rate to, 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 to really go up and really search every step and every part of the process in order to get to an 80 or 90%. I mean, for me, I have 90% closing on my proposals because I'm a lazy person. I'm like, no, I'm going. I'm not going to make a proposal unless you're focused. You're a focused person. Yeah, of course, it's been effective. Eh? I'm, I'm, I'm saying a little bit negative, but yeah, it's, that's it. It's being. It's all about being focused, because I. It's really about also that that paradigm. It's about working hard and working long hours, and it's it's really a myth, because it's taking away your energy, and if you don't have energy anymore, you can't be enthusiastic. You cannot yeah, connect with absolutely. other people, and then you're working on lots of things. And, and especially the non-sales, they like that for on the board and the excels because the, the slideshow is then full. It's like you said, it's better to have three deals and, and to have really that predictability and they know, yes, we're going to close this and these are the resources that we need in order to close this. Otherwise, I mean, if you still, you know the situation, working on deals where you put the whole company on it and then the deal is blocked, frozen, or delayed, or whatever, and you keep doing that over and over again, I mean, I really think you, you're losing um, your credibility. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's, for me, the biggest thing, um, besides, of course, listening for a salesperson, is really that mental uh, resilience to really cope with that insecurity, that, that, yeah, that inner dialogue from, okay, we're going to make it, we're not going to make it, and that's where... I mean, selling one deal is easy, but to keep that going and going to stay motivated and positive and passionate, that is the, that is the, the challenge I really find. Yeah. Now, now, you have been a seller. You yeah, are selling also right now in order to get money from your um, in investors. You also have to sell Volta, I believe, to your uh, portfolio companies. Um, because, yeah, 20 years ago, there were not a lot of... Um, uh, people like VCs, but nowadays, yeah, also founders can select VCs that they want to work together. What do you, um, what what do you do? Do you, do you like what 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 does the word selling mean to you? Because for a lot of people, it's negative. Eh? It's really about when you don't have a job, and you don't know what to do. You go into sales. <laughs> Yeah, but sales is quite difficult. But selling is, first of all, it's qualification. It's, 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 is there a match? Is what I'm offering something that other person is looking for? Is there a match? And do they, do they tick all the boxes to become a company we invest in or a customer or whatever? Um, so that, that's one of the first things you need to learn. Uh, also then that part of qualification is saying no, uh, I don't think there's a fit, I don't think this we're a match, let's just, you know, not waste one another's time, let's just move on to the next. Okay. So, wait, I forgot your question again. Um, so everything is about selling. So yeah, yeah. also... What, what is, your, what is the, your definition of selling? Yeah. Selling is 
first of all, quali qualifying. Do I have something that I want to offer for somebody who can need it? And secondly, how do I, uh, convince is perhaps not the right words, but how do I give the other party sufficient comfort that what I have to offer is what something that could bring value to them? It's more <clears throat> influencing, eh? It is more influencing. Yeah. You have to demonstrate that you're knowledgeable about what you're doing and that you're professional in moving the process forward. That's for me a selling. And um, do you believe that, of course, with all the technology um, nowadays, social media, that um, selling, and I really mean now for a startup acquiring new business, it's more difficult than 20 years ago or is it easier? It's a good question. 20 years ago, if you were a good salesperson, you stood out because there was not a lot of processes and methodologies. It was still somewhat amateuristic. Today, there's more processes, there's more handbooks, there's more how-to blogs and stuff like that. So in that regard, the bar has increased. People have become more professional. Uh, also, software has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. I yeah, remember 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I started, I did my CRM. It didn't exist CRM. I did it in, in Excel. Mm -hmm. And people said, why are you putting all your prospects and your steps and your faces in an Excel? I said, well, it helps me keep the overview. People had books in the old days. So technology, only CRM, and there's so many more tools these days, uh, have made it much, much, much more professional. So it's more difficult to stand out these days. Yeah, because, I mean, it's an interesting thing that you mentioned about uh, having uh, technology and there is more a process. But I also think that's a trap. I think a lot of youngsters, um, and we are young, eh? but I mean, young, like when you're in the 20s, um, they think, oh, this is the technique, I'm going to use uh, value-based selling or challenger selling or whatever the term, I'm going to buy. Eh? Predictable revenue book. Yeah, whatever. You're right. If you're looking at deals that have a low deal value up to a few hundred euros per month, then you have to use these techniques to the maximum, yeah. basically. Yeah. If you're selling something that has a higher value, yeah. a few ten thousands a month, yeah. then the people impact is very significant. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to interact, you have to understand what the other person is looking for and what you can offer. And technology can help and substantially helps and makes lives easier and more effective. Um, but it's not by just indeed following the book or a manual that you're going to sell. But you still need to have a value proposition. Yeah, that's You have correct. to articulate for your prospects. And you, you, you can't find that in a book what your value proposition is, uh, what the decision makers are in a company, what the budgets are, what your approvals are, all these things. That's something that's personal interaction. As you mentioned, the low value and the high value, it's a totally different system. The low value has to rely by a very large degree to automated processes. Yeah. The high value, it's still people. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing that you see. People see selling as selling as just and one thing. No, you have to really look in the, the yeah, specifics, and then. And the most important thing in selling is how can I help my prospect? Yeah, that's it. And because also I'm fundraising. I've also been fundraising. I ask my investors, "What do you need from me?" Yeah. For you to convince your decision makers, and 
can I help you write out the investment proposal? I'll yeah. write it for you. You yeah. just change it wherever you want, yeah. but I'll do the work for yeah. you because I'm the best person to sell my product, yeah. which is a fund uh, these days. Uh, I'm, nobody else can sell it as well as I can, which is typical. So I, you do the writing for them. Plus these people have other projects next to my projects because that's also a fallacy of some salespeople. They think many startups also think yeah. the sun rises and sets upon my products. Yeah. And why doesn't everybody drop everything to talk to me? But people at large organizations are working on 20 projects. Are you just one of the 20 projects? Yeah. Or yeah. how do you get the attention? It's yeah. by doing a lot of the work for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's something. Well, it, it's, it's, it's an example. I, I very often I'm asked, and I happily do that, can you introduce me to somebody? Hmm. And then that's it. I say, I'm happy to do so. But can you please send me an email that I can forward that says who you are, what you do, and why you want to get into contact these people? Yeah. I have ever been discussed it, but you know, I have other things to do, and yeah. nobody else can write that email as 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 as, as good as you can. Yeah. So send me something I can forward. Yeah. And that's laziness or naivety because selling is giving the other person the amount, the information they need to do the selling for you. And that's something I see very often. Can you introduce but me to both? Now, if you would, um, if you would go back um, and you're going to meet the Frank of 18 years, 18 years old or young, he's just entering the door of university. Um, what would you, what are the, 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 the one thing or the two things that you would say to him? Look, I'm, I've, I've taken a DeLorean and I'm back from the future. Um, these are the things, I mean, don't make these stupid things or the stupid, or the lessons, I would say. What are the things that you would say to... to uh... well, personally, I leave that alone. Yeah, yeah, lessons. okay. <laughs> I have learned over the years. Uh, going back, in all honesty, if I look back when I was 18, I was simply clueless how the world looked like. So, look where I am today, where I was at 18, uh, I have been very fortunate to stumble into a number of opportunities at the right time because people, people that say, you know, I'm very successful because this and that, but a lot is also luck being the right person at the right time with the right product and, and timing is a lot. So what, what would I change? Not, not to change, I advise, eh? I mean, what would you advise to your eight year old? Uh, take for instance your son, what would you say to your eight year old son? Look, from your dad, I know you have to experience yourself, but... Try a few things, okay. because you have no idea what you want to do at 18, so try a few things. And until 27, 28, it doesn't, 30, it doesn't really matter. If you try a few things, around 30 should, 25, 30 should know what you want to do in life. But before that, just try a few things. Um, learn about selling. Um, so you advise everybody to learn about selling. Everybody. At the end of the day, everything is selling. Yeah. How do you convince somebody to go along with you? Yeah. To recruit you, to do a project with you, to buy something from you? It's all selling. Yeah. It's all selling. And not in the negative American way by everything is huge and fantastic. That's not what I mean. But what arguments and what processes can you use yeah. 
to move what you want to achieve in life forward. That's mm -hmm. how I define selling. Now I'm going to go a little deeper, a little more personal. I mean, you just mentioned the word success. Does the definition of success change, transformed in all the years? If you look, what success mean to you? Like a lot of money when you were, I don't know, 25, and now when you're uh, 50 plus. <laughs> uh, success is is should not be measured in money. Uh, did, did, you, did you did you have that same definition also when you're 25? When you're younger, you're more driven because you know you want to buy a house. Uh, yeah, a house and success and a, and a title and a big car. And, and you want uh, a title. So when you're young, yeah, you want a car, a house, and a title. Yeah, every, everybody goes through that phase. But after a while, it, you see it's not that important. You want to be healthy, especially in these days. You want to be healthy. You want your family to be healthy. You want your family to be happy. I think those are the more important things in life. We have worked in a company, but also the founders, they worked day and night and it was, yeah, that was normal. Did that change over time? Or is it still the same? No, because like you, like, like I know you and like I know many other people, successful people, if I look at myself, work, I enjoy the yeah, intellectual yeah. challenge to get through the day and yeah. help companies and, and, and go fundraising and move things forward. I don't call that work. Work is something that you have to do when you don't really enjoy it, when you have to make an effort. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make an effort, but most of the time. And, and I see that with many success. I'm fortunate to be working with many successful people. Oh, 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 oh. there's a voice, man. There's Sorry. Yeah, sorry. So I, I know quite a few people of 60 plus, 70 plus, successful entrepreneurs where you're saying, my God, they have everything. Why? Because they crave the intellectual challenge. Okay. They love getting up and, okay, what's the next problem I have to tackle today? So. But you have to protect them sometimes? Do you, do you have to protect sometimes Are they for themselves because they're pushing it too far? Or. Yes, some people do that. I have also done that, but I know a few quite successful people say, why do you still work so hard? They say, what else? What else am I going to do? Sit in my, uh, watch television at night? Uh, yeah, okay. But there is, there is, I, you have to work hard. Eh? I mean, we're not talking here about the nine to five mentality. I mean, I'm talking here about going so far that you, yeah, I mean, that you're exhausting your body. I've also done it. Eh? I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's not smart, but that's the risk, of course, in yeah. overdoing it. And that's the lesson that's also. You always need to go sp uh, sporting. Yeah, yeah, sporting. Now, um, something different. I mean, I remember um, 20 years ago, one of your idols, oh, yeah, I'm not talking here about Pink Floyd or Queen, um, was. The guys from, I don't know the names anymore, but they, I, they called Kleiner Perkins. Yeah. Now, who are your role models? Where are the people that you look up to? Um, so don't name any um, David Gilmore, eh? but uh, I'm more <laughs> professional. But you can, eh? but. Oh, uh, the professional uh, idols, you mean? Yeah. In those days, Kleiner Perkins was the venture capital fund. They yeah, but, to, but today, but today. Basically today. everything. The, the, the guys I say, well, look up to. Um, the Showpad guys have uh, created a great company. So you have regrets that you didn't invest in that? 
we did that with the previous I, ones. Okay, yeah. Adam so, uh, yeah, invested yeah. in them. Uh, the guy you are working for, Peter, uh, okay. Jonas, yeah. awesome guy. Uh, I think that's incredible. It was amazing. Mid-30s and widely successful, but still very, how would I say, down to earth. Hum humble, eh? He's uh, very modest and humble. He's, uh, but he's like that, eh? That's a true, that's a true role model. Um, Rare. The two founders of Q2Pay, Jürgen Ingels, uh, Michel Ackermans, Michel worked with very closely. He's had two very successful exits and still works day and night, in the weekends, at night. The guy is never off, he's always on. Um, and I think I admire all people that start a startup. But again, I'm feeling very professional, but I have to say these days during Corona, yeah. I... Uh, Look with admiration to the guy that just picked up my garbage, yeah. which so, people forget. But yeah. at the end of the day, if they're not there, we have a big problem. You've known lots of successes, but I also believe, and it's the same for me, you had also some failures or some lessons. I prefer to call them lessons because eh, that's what they are for. What, what are the things that you have encountered that you think, damn, that was, that was not good. Uh, something you invested in that didn't went well or, or bad decision or I don't know, uh, something that you are aware of right now? Well, uh, I've been divorced, so that's not smart. Uh, that's yeah, the same for me. Yeah. Um, but it's very often also situational. Um, working with the co-founder, where you know this is probably not going to work out but i'm going to make it work and hmm. at the end of the day it doesn't work out so perhaps you have to be more honest and it's, but is that is, is that because you didn't you knew it from your gut your intuition that was not a click but you say in your head let's do it let's make it happen yes and then and afterwards you say Shit. yes i've done that and i think many people do that so yeah. probably you need to be more honest with yourself and say let's not do this blah, blah, blah. So those situations, yeah, you invest in companies that don't work out, but sometimes it's because of the team, but very often it's not because of the team. We've invested in a few companies uh, where it didn't work out, but it would happily work again with the team. Okay. But yeah, the market was wrong, the timing was wrong, the competition was different. Uh, some of the market assumptions that we made also us proved to be wrong. So yeah, but those are the... Yeah, normal mistakes I would say you make. I think one mistake I also made once was uh, on the distributorship in the in the Benelux. We sold it to um, to the group uh, company, and yeah, I left without informing the team that was going to leave mm. because I didn't want to work for a large organization. I like startups. Um, and I was going to leave. I didn't inform the team of that, so that was a big mistake. And also before I left, I also found my successor who didn't prove to be the right guy, so that was a huge mistake I made. Okay. They should have implicated the team uh, when I was thinking about leaving, but I was very wrongly thinking, yeah, they won't be motivated, they won't be motivated anymore. They will leave before me, but that's, that, was, that was a mistake. Okay, okay. Now, um... Do you believe? Um, because I, I really like that comment you said. Um, I don't want to work for a large corporation. I did that, as you know. 
Um, and of course, yeah, the older you become, the mature you become, and you have to be really honest with yourself to know what is the best environment where you fit in. I mean, do you believe that working for a startup, um, when you get over 40 plus, for instance, can you still work for a startup? Sure. There is no, sure. it, because sometimes I see these companies like hiring all these 20 year plus, and yeah, um, I don't know, it's just, a good mix uh, is not bad. Uh, having a few of the no hairs or grayer hairs in the company is not a bad thing, especially when you're doing enterprise software. Yeah. Where it's a people per business and where um, the people at the large company or government organization are typically also going to be older. And it's difficult yeah. to relate yeah. as young kids to the older people. Is a yeah. lot yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's helpful to have some older people there yeah, that yeah. can better relate on a personal level. Yeah, 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 yeah I understand. But the mix, young and old, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is really important. Now, um, you just had your birthday one week ago. Um, within 10 years, you're still a VC? Um, yeah, a part-time VC, a semi-retired VC probably, yes. And perhaps also doing some projects that are, you know, non-financially motivated because I will have the time. The kids will be gone. Um, I will probably not be really wanting to work all day long. But I'm saying that now, I will still be working. Perhaps yeah, of course, time of course, of course, yeah. But you say non-financially. So this means for companies or more for like good causes? Uh... Good causes, yeah. Okay, interesting. And so, what is still for you a crazy dream for you that you didn't do? Um, um, any dreams? No, the biggest dream I have is to stay healthy for 20 more years uh, and have happy kids. That's very nice. Is there something that you want to say that, I, that we didn't talk about that you think is interesting for the audience, Frank? Well, that's a difficult question, Peter. Um, uh, live life to the fullest, I think. Uh, if you have a certain talent, you know, use it. If you have limitations, as you say, I know what I can, I cannot do. That's the benefit of being older. When you're young, you think you can do everything. Mm -hmm. At a certain time, you accept. It's, and that's also something with advice people. Accept the things you cannot do. And I've learned to live with the things I cannot do. I know most of the things I cannot do. And I don't do that because I know I'm going to suck at it anyway. So I yeah. think I'm good at being a VC, but there's some other things that I'm not good at. I'm not a good people person, for example. So I know I don't need to do these things. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a motivational speaker, for example. I am good at explaining what the VC is and so forth, but I'm not a motivational people. So a person, so a TEDx would be a stupid thing for me to yeah. be able to look yeah. at it. Yeah. So know your limitations and you know work on the things and try to grow. And focus on your strengths because you cannot work focus with your weaknesses. Your and accept your limitations because nobody's perfect. Yeah, that's actually the, the biggest lesson that I learned from you. Uh, and it was last year, eh? Because I was uh, always having that typical belief that in an organization you have to go up. You start at the bottom and then you have, go, have to go up to becoming the boss of the company because I maybe that's how I was trained in university. I don't know where I get that belief. Um, 
because I was quite, I wouldn't say angry at you when you told me, yeah, you're good sales. I'm like, Frank, I don't want to be in sales or a business anymore. <laughs> is, is he really said, you need to embrace that. That's your strength. And I'm really glad and grateful that you said that to me and gave me that mirror because you're true. It's true. And it's, it's, and once you accept that, you let go of all the yeah. other things that you're trying to force and then you're happy the way it is because yeah. And then you see also other people forcing things which they are not. And then they struggle, of course. Eh? I know. I've always known you as very ambitious, but you're a great sales guy. And I think you would hate every single day being a CEO because well, then you have to deal with boards, board packs, financials. Uh, knowing you, that's not something you like. I mean, I mean, even today, creating a complicated Excels, I mean, they know that in the company I work for, yeah, so they have teams for that. I mean, that's not my thing anymore. It's maybe because I'm getting older, but it's sucking energy. It's sucking, yeah, because people have also pushed me when you raise the new funds. Why don't you raise 200 million? Yeah. So I don't know if I can raise 200 million. I don't know if, if I would be good at it. I don't know if it would be great to have a bigger team. I like working with smaller teams. Yeah, yeah. You need to do later stage investings, which I have not a lot of affection with. So let's just continue doing what I'm doing. I'm happy to raise. We raised the previous fund was 55. I will be happy with another 50 million funds. It doesn't have more. It's not always better. No, no, no. Because that guy, we've got a, not got a name here, an incredible entrepreneur. He also had a company that went nowhere. He did a few, uh, he sold a few companies, made a lot of money, invested in a few projects that didn't work out, lost the money. I said, my God, what are you going to do now? Create a new company, make money again, lose yeah. again. I don't know, we'll see. But yeah, that, that's the definition of a true entrepreneur. Yeah, but that's the same with Jonas. Eh? His, the, his joy, it's about the journey. He really enjoys of, I have a little bit of this. How can I create a little bit more of that? And it's not about, I want to just, yeah, half money no it's really about money and then investing again and enjoying that part of yeah you don't know up front if your decisions is going to be right and it's that game that infinite game like simon Sinek calls it that um that you get the the, the power of and then you know there is no destination it's that journey and, it, and that's the where the fulfillment absolutely. comes yeah because if you reach the destination what what then but that's Did the thing yeah that, that's yeah. the thing yeah once you have been on the moon what's next there's nothing left i mean that's frank i want to be i'm very grateful thank you very much for the conversation it's always a pleasure uh talking to you peter i hope it was you enjoyed it absolutely because thank you for this. it's not a typical conversation you normally have with uh and it's because not. yeah that's what i like of course eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's how i know you peter thanks a lot okay thank you See so you much bye-bye good luck bye-bye stay healthy